At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning by opening His Word together. So if you have a Bible, Psalm 51 is where we're going to be, Psalm chapter 51. And um, we're continuing our sermon series that we've titled Assembly Required, um, and we're focusing on God's direction, God's will for us as we gather corporately. This is something that many of us take for granted um, as followers of Christ, um, is that you go to church Sunday morning, you go to church. That's just what you're supposed to do, right? But we want to be intentional about what God calls us to do when we gather, And so what we've done is uh, chosen the book of Psalms um, in order to highlight different aspects of corporate worship and allow him to lead us through what our gathering should look like. So last week, um, we began in Psalm chapter 1 and talked about the primacy of God's word as we gather for worship. We delight in God's word when we gather. Um, And this morning, we're looking at Psalm 51 um, and the nature of confession, confession when we gather. Um, yes, this is a heavy passage of Scripture. Um, I'm not sure there is a more intense psalm, at least. Um, this, is, this is not a PG-rated passage of Scripture. So I'm going to try to be appropriately modest as we look at especially the details around the story related to this psalm, but I also want to be appropriately honest and true to the text and true to the story that this text comes from that is found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. If you guys know, in 2 Samuel, King David's monarchy has begun, and the prophet Samuel is outlining for us several key events related to his reign in Jerusalem and over God's people. And one of those key events sadly relates to his adultery with Bathsheba. And as we look at that story more closely, we'll see this psalm comes out of that experience in Psalm 51. So be prepared. (laughs) We're going to get into it. Psalm 51, um, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after David had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Passivity. It was springtime in ancient Israel. That's the time of year, if a nation was at war, that a king would join his army on the battlefield. And as it happened to be, Israel was at war with the Ammonites, but King David passively, lazily stayed behind in Jerusalem, enjoying the comforts of his palace while, their, while his troops, absent their king, engaged in the fight. And passivity leads to lust. One afternoon, David was lounging on the top of his royal chateau. He looks across the way and the height advantage of his home allowed him to notice a woman, a beautiful woman, bathing. The king calls his servant and says, bring the woman to me. But King David, this woman is married. She's married to one of your soldiers, Uriah. Ah. Perfect, David thinks. Her husband's not home because my soldiers are at war. Bring the woman to me. David's lust then causes him to abuse his power, and as one commentator puts it, he pulled his ranking rape. He forces himself on Bathsheba. Passivity leads to lust, leads to a power move, leads to lying. The beautiful woman eventually sends notice to David, I'm pregnant. And in a panic, David begins a deceptive plot to cover his sin. He calls the woman's husband, Uriah. He calls Uriah home from war. That way, hopefully, those two will lie together and everyone will think the baby was conceived by them. But Uriah, the woman's husband, nobly refuses to lie with his wife. Not while my comrades are on the battlefield. I won't enjoy my wife while my fellow soldiers fight. So David gets Uriah drunk. Still doesn't work. 
So then David reverses his strategy. He sends Uriah to the front lines of the most dangerous part of the battle, and his intent is that Uriah would be killed. The idea being that if Uriah dies, then he can marry the woman and the child will be legitimate. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah dies on the front lines. David marries the woman. Scandal avoided. But friends, here's the truth. As I've heard it said before, secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. Secret sin on earth is an open scandal in heaven. David's passivity, David's lust, his abuse of power, his deceptions, it all may be hidden from the world for a time, but it is all known by God. And so God sends Nathan the prophet in order to confront the king. And it's a powerful interaction that they have, the way that Nathan uses a parable to help David see his sin. We don't have time to get into all the details. The whole story, as I said, is in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But here's how the interaction ends. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, David replies to Nathan's confrontation, quote, I have sinned against the Lord. So here's the question. How can we, sinful as we are, be restored into a right relationship with a righteous God? How can we, twisted and corrupt by sin as we are, be restored into relationship with the righteous God? Well, eventually David, the poet and songwriter that he was, wrote Psalm 51 in order to further express the depth of his remorse over his sin. And through this psalm, we learn that cleansing and joy come through confession. Cleansing from the corrupting effects of our sin and a joyful restoration of our relationship with God occur through confession. And as we look at some of the details of this psalm, we're going to see three lessons for what genuine confession looks like. Three directions that David's example teaches us. First, know and own your sin. Know and own your sin. Look at verse 3. David writes simply, I know my transgressions. In other words, God, I'm done playing games. I'm done pretending. I'm done living in denial. I know my transgressions, just like you know them. And then in that second half of verse 3, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You ever had one of those sins in your life? Just can't get it out of your mind. You just can't forget about it. Maybe it was the abortion that happened 30 years ago, but it's like right there in front of you still. Maybe it's the adultery that happened way back in your past, but the shame is still fresh as ever. That's where David is. He's so aware of his sin, it is ever before him. 
We can't escape it. And then listen to what he says in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, you may be thinking, David, what do you mean you only sinned against God? Didn't you sin against Bathsheba by forcing yourself on her? Didn't you sin against Uriah by forcing yourself on his wife and then deceiving him and then killing him? Didn't you sin against the entire nation by betraying your vows as king? What do you mean you sinned against God and against God only? Well, here's what I think he means. Aware of his sin as he is, David understands that all of his sin is ultimately tied to his rebellion against God. So committing adultery with Bathsheba is breaking God's design for covenant faithfulness in marriage. Forcing himself on Bathsheba is abusing power that God had given to him. Lying to Uriah is opposing truth, and God is truth. Murdering Uriah is desecrating the image of God that Uriah bore as a man. And so this communicates the gravity of his sin. He is aware he didn't just sin against a mere woman. He didn't just sin against a mere man or even against a mere nation of women and men. He sinned against the living God. And he knows it. All three of my children have gotten to the age where they are able to open the refrigerator and pull out of it whatever they want to eat. It used to be a little easier to protect my food and control the supply when they weren't strong enough to open the door. But now at six, five, and four, I got to be vigilant because they will break in. Well, not long ago, Meg and I were sitting at the kitchen table, and one of the kids just walks up eating, you know, one of those uh, nutty buddy ice cream cones, just out of nowhere. And he's just acting totally natural about it, just playing it cool, just totally in denial that he has transgressed the boundaries of my freezer. (laughs) And I'm like, excuse me. Who do you think you are? Don't you realize what you've done? Now, that's a silly illustration about children and ice cream, but it's helpful because children are just a micro expression of the same things we are and do as adults. Don't you realize what you've done? That's the question we've got to come to grips with. That's the question we've got to stop running from. Don't you realize that your pornography abuse is a distortion of God's good design for human sexuality? Don't you realize that your harsh tone and short temper with your children is an abuse of parental authority given to you by God? Don't you realize that your love of money, your obsession with hobbies, your fear of man, your substance abuse, your desire for control in relationships, your coveting after material possessions is all idolatry against the living God? Or are you living in denial? Just pretending. Everything's cool. Act natural. 
No, God confronted David through Nathan, and this morning he confronts us through his word. Know and own your sin. Friends, we cannot be restored into a right relationship with God unless we understand and own what is broken our relationship with God in the first place. Our sin, our rebellion against him. Secondly, David's confession directs us to beg for inner transformation. Beg for inner transformation. So David not only owns what he did, he also admits that what he did, his actions were reflective of his corrupt heart. Just as, Matthew, uh, just as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, what comes out of the heart, what comes out of the mouth, rather, proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These heart-springing sins are what defile a person. This is exactly what David's saying. I don't just need to change my actions. I need you, God, to change my heart. Look at how he puts it in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So this word create there at the start of verse 10 is the same word used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In other words, David says, in the same way you acted in creation, filling the void, shaping the formless, lighting up the darkness, in the same way my heart is empty. My heart is void. My heart is deformed. My heart is darkened. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. He begs for inner transformation. Later in verse 12, David prays, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So you see, David is admitting, my spirit is simply at times not willing to obey. I know it's what I'm supposed to do and I want to obey on some level, but I just don't have it in me. My spirit is not willing. So he begs. For a willing spirit, he begs for inner transformation. You think about the internal breakdown that can happen in an automobile. You know, the paint job may be fresh, the tires may be shiny, the body may be flawless, but that otherwise beautiful car is worthless, useless, if what's going on underneath the hood is defective. Well, David says, on the dashboard of my life, the check engine light is blaring. Underneath the hood of my life, there is a corrupt heart. There is an unwilling spirit. So friend, do you realize your sin problem goes deeper than your bad behaviors and hurtful actions that you've performed? Do you realize that no matter how moral or spiritual or religious you're able to make yourself appear, if God has not reached your heart, then God has not reached you. If you haven't gotten to a place where you've begged 
Lord, change my heart. Change my desires. If you haven't gotten to that place, then you have fallen short of true confession and understanding your sin. I'm lost. I'm blind. Save me. As you survey the effects of your sin against God, as you examine the twisted nature of your heart, cry out to the Lord. Own it. Cut the act. Stop pretending. Know and own your sin. Beg for inner transformation and then praise God for the way David finishes this psalm. Celebrate God's salvation. Celebrate God's salvation. Look at verses 14 through 15. David writes, Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. So you see that? Confession turns into celebration. Head-hanging shame is turned into hand-raising praise. And so confessing our sin is not about wallowing in our guilt and shame. It's not about making ourselves feel as bad as possible for as long as possible, punishing ourselves almost. No, true confession is ultimately about experiencing the liberating power of forgiveness. True confession is ultimately about experiencing the liberating power of forgiveness. Yes, it does include opening our mouths about being honest with our sin, but true confession, biblical confession, ultimately leads to opening our mouths in praise, joyful praise, having been showered with the freeing grace of God. My tongue will sing aloud. Touch my lips and they'll declare your praise. But you may be wondering, how can David be so sure that God would forgive him? I mean, lust, abuse of power, lying, murdering. Most of the time when you confess to law enforcement or if you confess before a judge, it leads to judgment, punishment. So how can David come before the God of the universe with blood on his hands like this and be so sure that he'll be forgiven? The judgment just won't happen. Well, from the very beginning and all the way through, the Bible holds out to us that God's righteousness can be upheld and Guilty sinners can be forgiven. The way it can happen is through a substitutionary sacrifice. It's not that God doesn't judge and condemn our sin. He does. God is too flawlessly righteous not to. The key is that a substitute graciously takes our place and receives judgment on our behalf. And so in the Old Testament, especially under the leadership of Moses, God instituted the sacrificial system, these different rituals which bulls and goats and sheep would be slaughtered for the sins of the people. 
But in the fullness of time, as the biblical story unfolds, we find out that the animal sacrifices were a mere shadow. But the substance of those shadows was none other than the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus. In other words, those animal sacrifices were mere pointers They were signs pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, the God-man, the promised Savior, the true king, the true king who did not abuse his power, but set his authority aside in order to serve us, laying down his life on our behalf. Listen to what one of Jesus' apostles wrote about him. This is from 1 Peter 3, verse 18. The apostle writes, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God. So that's how he explains Jesus' death. He suffered for our sins, the life of the righteous one in exchange for the life of unrighteous ones. So friends, That's why David could come before God confessing scandalous sin. And yet still, he can eventually confidently celebrate because he knows God will ultimately deal with his sin through the sacrifice of the coming Messiah. Well, church, the promised one has come. No more waiting. We are in an age of redemption history wherein we have more knowledge of his sacrifice and thus can have even more assurance than David did. So, church, I want to call on us now. Let's embrace the truth that cleansing comes through confession. Cleansing does not come from hiding our sin or being in denial about our sin or acting like it's not a big deal. Cleansing comes from knowing it, owning it, and pleading for mercy. And let's embrace the truth that joy comes from confession. The shame of confession evolves into celebratory joy. Wallowing in our guilt, beating yourself up, trying to self-atone, it never works. It doesn't have to work. Let's look to the cross. Let's look to the Savior substitute and joyfully celebrate our forgiveness. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Church, I invite you to stand, and I don't know about you guys, but for this one, I also feel like kneeling. And so if that's you, feel the freedom to do so. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and confess we are broken. We have sinned against you, the Lord. We have despised your word We have ignored the truth. God, have mercy on us. Father, work in our hearts and purge from it every evil effect. Our depravity runs deep, O God. And so come now, create in us a new heart, a clean heart by the power of your Holy Spirit and cleanse us with the pure 
blood of Jesus, the precious lamb who was slain on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that we can look to the cross and rejoice. You have dealt with our sin in your son. And so, Father, we now receive your grace. We celebrate your salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.